0: Welcome back to Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is again your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service, and we're glad to have you join us again or for the first time. I'm glad to welcome this week Alex Jones. Alex is a 2015 graduate of Notre Dame, and he is the CEO and co-founder of Hallow, which many of you may be aware of is a very popular Catholic meditation app. So Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We like to start at the beginnings of everyone's life. So, where were you born? What were some important early moments for you in your
1: life? Yeah. So, I was born in Columbus, Ohio. So, grew up a Buckeye fan, but then switched allegiances to, to Notre Dame. So, it was a sad game, even though I uh, was a Buckeye fan growing up when we lost the, what was that, two weekends ago? Couple, yeah. But... Yeah, I, I grew up. I was blessed in a bunch of ways. I had an incredible set of parents. My mom is to this day the best example of faith that I have in my life. Just this incredibly holy and spiritual woman. And my dad's a, a hero of mine. Worked real hard. Taught us like an incredible set of values. And I had a bunch of. I had three sisters, so a pretty pretty female household. Great. But grew yeah. up, and they're also they're all rock stars in their own right. I was unfortunately a pretty crappy kid a good chunk of negative memories from my own doing growing up, mostly just focused on, I was raised Catholic, but I I'd, I'd fallen away from my faith in high school and through college, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, just focused on hanging out with my friends, trying to do what my friends were doing, which was stupid stuff and trying to hang out with the girl that I liked and sports. So, baseball was the one I played. I went to a small school, so I played a bunch of different sports, but baseball was probably the one that I stuck with the most. So, yeah, most of my memories actually from early days, high school and and younger were were sports and probably mostly baseball. So, Okay,
0: well, great. Well, we definitely have touched on sports and baseball a number of times here on the podcast. So, I, I can ask you something there. Do you think there was anything about the dynamic of being on a baseball team and the, the discipline that it takes to be part of a practice and prepare for a game, all those things? Did that help translate to your success that you've seen later in life now?
1: I do think sports are just such an incredible training ground for the spiritual life. And it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does if you're a professional athlete and that's like your job, I guess. But if I go golf on the weekend, it doesn't matter at all. What, you know, maybe I'm a little bit embarrassed or something, but it's such a perfect opportunity to practice. There's discipline, like you practice and you get better and you can improve on things and it's measurable and you see it, but it's also still hit or miss. Like you'll go through peaks and valleys, even if you're practicing all the time. It's not like a straight line. And there's this element of surrender to it all. And then there's element of teamwork and respect. One of the biggest things was certainly learning how to work with people. Everything you do in life is is on a team and being able to work with people and pick people up when they're down yourself, get picked up when you're down and also not ride too high when you're up. But baseball, especially, it's such an interesting sport because it's so kind of sporadic. You don't really, you know, you'll sit out in the field for... Thirty minutes and then you'll get one ball hit to you. You got to make the play. And so, it's kind of like a lot of practice comes up to one moment. But if you get too stressed out about it, you'll screw it up. So, it's like how do you stay present is like the key, you know, get in the zone. It's all about staying present. So, I think it teaches you a lot about how to work with people, how to practice. I realized probably the biggest thing I learned about myself through sports growing up was I respond really well to really, really aggressive coaches I had just like the most intense coaches. They would just make fun. You know, you'd be like an eighth grader in school. I went to a public school. I had this eighth grade coach, like 80 years old. He'd make us pray the our father before every game, which we were like, (laughs) coach, I don't think you're allowed to do that. But let me just yell at you if you screwed it up. He was like one of my friends went to him and said, hey, it was like 9 p.m. and He's like, I'm pretty tired. I, I need a sub. And he's like, I don't know. Is Subway open? It's pretty late. Get back on the court. It's, like, it's just a, it's a hilarious. Well, I, I love that. I thought it was. And so, I, I don't know. I've taken that a bit into like spiritual life as well. It's, and people respond to a bunch of different coaching styles. So, that certainly didn't, didn't work for everybody. But for me, that, you know, pick yourself back up and, and put a little fire in you has helped me a lot in later. So, yeah, certainly a lot. Great. Great. Thank you.
0: So, you talked about falling away from your faith in high school And I think we see that a lot in the church. There's a lot of angst right now in the church of people, maybe they get confirmed in seventh or eighth grade, maybe a little bit beyond that, but sort of seeing that as a graduation of sorts from caring about their faith or practicing it. Can you talk about what was it during that time of your life where faith just didn't seem that relevant or that important to you? Because I think it's instructive for us As we will then round out your story and and talk about how you came back.
1: Yeah, I've thought about this a good bit. Now looking back, there's no real deep answer of what pulled me away. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. if I had to be honest with myself, a chunk of it was, you know, this is what my parents made me do and I didn't want to do it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. whatever you're a teenager, that's your parents tell you not to do something and I wanted, that made me want to do it. Chunk of it was most of my friends were secular. The majority of my friends did not take their faith seriously. And we're kind of the same, falling away from their faith. But the, the overarching theme is just kind of this like, oh, this is the thing that our parents did and their parents did. And it's slowly dying off. And it's just the old myths of some old dude up in the sky who judges us or whatever. And it's all fate. Mm. And, you know, it doesn't have any real truth behind it or any validity and it's just kind of silly. So, why? And, and the God is Dead, the, the Richard Dawkins books and all those, that, that's kind mm-hmm. of the theme of those too with the new atheists. Yeah. It's kind of this like, well, this is silly. It's just kind of, yeah, if you don't think about it all that much, it's easy to say this is silly. And it's like, oh, the Bible endorses slavery and all these political topics that as a teenager I thought I disagreed with. And so, it wasn't like I ever really seriously engaged with it. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. no, yeah, for sure that the Christianity isn't true. Because as soon as I started doing that, actually, the opposite became apparent, but it was just kind of this, I was following this wave of what was going on around me and I never really engaged with it, either on an intellectual level or on a spiritual level. I think that story is unfortunately not uncommon. And what really blew me away was the extremes once I started getting into it, which we, we can talk about, I'm sure, but is the extremes of what the church has. And that's both on the intellectual side, it's on the art side, the beauty side, but also the spirituality side. And Mm -hmm. I never really thought or engaged with those at all. You kind of just taught like, okay, you're at the Ten Commandments here and and you learn it in third, fourth, fifth grade and you're kind of taught these basics, which is awesome. But then there's this radical, like the intellectual, the craziness of the theology of the church Mm -hmm. and how you listen to C.S. Lewis, even just on the Christian perspective, if you go as far as to get into Augustine or Aquinas or any of these. And you can't come away from that and be like, okay, yeah, there's no real intellectual rigor here. But it's just the the real exposure to that. As soon as you're really exposed to it, you're like, wow. I mean, I was like, wow, there's a lot of people that are way smarter than me. (laughs) I mean, it's not that it's not about this way more than I have. I can't understand 20% of what these guys are saying. And so, that was like the beginning of, wow, wait, there is actually something kind of like physics in the sense that like physics is appealing because it's so radically intellectually complicated. There's like mm-hmm. so much Now there's simplicity to it too, which is beautiful, but it's it's so like if you talk to some, you know, a friend of mine is doing his PhD in physics. And you talk to him for 2 minutes, and you're like, wow, you you know so much more than I do. But we don't really ever get exposed to that in the church. I think folks like Bishop Barron, Father Mike and a handful of folks are starting to do that where it's like, no, there is this real deep and intellectually rigorous truth to the church and exposing Mm -hmm. people to Mm -hmm. that. I think that same thing is true for spirituality and the contemplative life. Because you like people do a rosary every once in a while and people pray before they go to bed. But it's like, man, there's monks out there just sitting in silent prayer for three hours at a time. What? That really did start to crack the door open when I started to somewhat consider it. But certainly did not at all in high school and even for the beginning of, of undergrad.
0: Well, awesome. We'll definitely get into the, more of those topics. How did you come to think about Notre Dame? And even though your, your faith at that time wasn't that important to you, what made Notre Dame attractive that you ended up coming here?
1: Yeah, I really got, I really got lucky on that one. The, uh, <laughs> my older sister went to Notre Dame, so it was on my list. I was considering probably four or five schools. I really didn't like Greek life. And so, like deciding to go to a fraternity or sorority or whatever, I wasn't really all that excited about. Mm-hmm. I really loved Notre Dame's campus, like just the green, like it felt like you were in a different, it wasn't like part of a city. It was like you walk on a campus and it's all this green space and it's kind of this separate, yeah, it just felt, I, I, I love the campus, it's just beautiful. And then there was a diversity, like the academic diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going into engineering, but it wasn't a engineering only school, it had a bunch of different things that you could do if you decided that engineering wasn't the path you wanted to go down. And for me, it was, you know, maybe this is the sports thing again, but like when I went to some of the other schools, it was hard for me to build a relationship or bond with some of the other folks who were touring the school with me, some of the other students. Whereas at Notre Dame, all the questions were about intramural sports and like flag football and baseball Mm -hmm. and all this Mm -hmm. stuff that I was also interested in. And so, it was like, yeah, I think they have some stat that, you know, Notre Dame is like 80 or 85% varsity athletes or something. And so, it was something that it felt like a, a place, a lot of people who were similar to me. But anyway, yeah, it was, It had nothing to do with the faith, which is funny because it was a critical part in, in bringing me back to my faith. But it was just kind of this love for the campus and I got pretty lucky.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, how did you find yourself growing both spiritually and in other ways as a student here
1: the dorm masses were something that i felt like i i wouldn't go to them all the time but it it felt like it i could go to them enough where i never really felt like i was totally disconnected from my faith and I, Mm -hmm. i i could imagine at a different school or a secular school i really never would have gone to mass that piece of it was a big piece for me the second piece is i did have a good chunk of friends who were much deeper at least intellectually in their faith. And so we would get in debates all the time, like late night up to 2 a.m. or whatever, just arguing about whatever topic. And that started to, like I was saying before, crack the door that was like, oh man, there are, you know, actually, and and I read a handful of the books they recommended and was like, man, there are actually a lot of people. There is actually some real intellectual rigor to this. I had a priest, my rector freshman year was Father Pete McCormick, who now Mm -hmm. I think is in, in charge of campus ministry, but, he was yeah. incredible he's one of the one of the best priests I know he's he's just and he's incredibly relatable and so he kind of made and he he knew his faith he knew church teaching incredibly well and was intellectually rigorous so so he was a big part of that too and then I took a couple theology courses and philosophy courses actually that were you know the theology courses weren't as impactful. I took this one they were great, but they they weren't quite as the best one was probably this philosophy course, which was this philosophy of science course, mm-hmm. and it was funny because you don't—I'm certainly not an expert in this—and it was a, a good bit ago. So if if, you, if we get into the arguments, I'm sure I'm sure I'm going to remember them only vaguely. But you know, right. we, we jumped into like David Hume's problem with induction, which is a uh, this famous paper on induction, but it was. What it did essentially was it, it took a step back and if you look at science, which science is awesome, I mean, it's the, the the scientific method has given us so much, but if you treat science as a religion, like if you treat science as the fundamental basis, which is what essentially I was doing as a kid, I sure. was like, no, all this, all this religion stuff is silly, it's just science. We know science. Science gave us our phones and our planes, like we can trust science. But it, when you actually dive into what is that, what does that mean? It changes from science to scientism, which is that doesn't really have that that solid of a basis. And it makes a bunch of assumptions that you have to take on faith, just like mm-hmm. the church does and just like any belief system does. You have to start somewhere and you have to make some assumptions. And And so anyway, that that was a pretty interesting course because it opened up my eyes to like, well, okay, maybe part of it was, wow, there is actually some real intellectual rigor here to this faith thing. And the other half of it was, well, this kind of secular belief system there may actually be some holes or there may actually be some leaps that you have to take just like you do in the Christian world. And so mm-hmm. then it was kind of this interesting question intellectually, and this is kind of separate from the spiritual side of this journey, which was, I would argue, probably a more important one for me. But was kind of like, okay, well, if I, if I got to choose what I want, if I have to take a leap of faith and I can choose what I want to believe and I have to jump off from some starting point, Essentially, you're jumping off from materialism and science or faith, which the Christian faith, like the first building block is love. And so, it's like, Mm. well, do I want love to matter? Like to be the fundamental, like the most important part of the world? Or do I just want it to be like a series of chemical reactions? And I don't know. It was an interesting... And the more I would get lost in the counter arguments, the more I'd be like, okay, there's smart people on both sides. I can't just live my life by who I get convinced by next and who I listen to most recently, because you know, I listen to some super smart atheist and I'm like, oh, that guy's definitely right. And I listened to some super smart Christian or Catholic theologian and I'm like, oh, that guy's definitely right. (laughs) For me, it really came down to spirituality and at that point meditation. But yeah, Notre Dame undergrad was a huge part, both from the friends, the classes and the the clergy. Yeah,
0: well, I'm glad to hear that. That was such an aid to you. What did you end up studying overall? What was your degree in? Did that closely lead to where you went after
1: Notre Dame? Yeah, I was mechanical engineering, which was I did mostly because it was the broadest form of engineering. You did a little bit of physics, a little bit of computer science, a little bit of a uh, little bit of programming, a little bit of chemical engineering, a little bit of aerospace engineering. So. You kind of touch on a little bit of everything and it focuses mostly on physics and kind of first principles. I did an engineering internship. Then I ended up kind of getting relatively interested in business, which I got exposed to consulting. And so I actually went into Mm -hmm. consulting, which they hire a bunch of engineers and into consulting uh, because it's really at its core, just kind of problem solving skills is what they're looking for. But I wouldn't say I did any real technical work in my first job out of college. So, went went into consulting in Chicago and kind of worked for companies helping them build digital strategies and figure out products and, and all that jazz. So,
0: And oftentimes, we talk about students here finding a foothold for their faith, that it grows. There's that the dorm mass, the community, all those things. And yet, when they leave Notre Dame, it can be sometimes hard to keep that foothold or find a new one. Wherever they are, where did you end up living, and how was practicing your faith as being away from Notre Dame? How did that work out?
1: Thanks be to God, I always had a a little bit of some glue holding me to the church, so it's it's mm-hmm. kind of always been this blessing of. As a kid, it was my family. In, in college, it was Notre Dame, and then after college, it was who ended up being my wife. I think mm-hmm. we were dating after college for a year or two and then we were engaged for a year or two and she was an incredible woman in real deep and beautiful faith so she always took her faith seriously so again i always kind of had that connection to uh she would go to mass on sundays and i would join her every once in a while we were in chicago and so we were in the lincoln park area just north of the city and i really did start to, you know at that point it was okay i'm an adult now, or oh, I thought so, and <laughs> I should probably figure out what I, you know, we were going to get married. I didn't know we were going to get married in the church. We we're going to raise our kids in the church. Is this something that I really believe? Mm-hmm. And I better figure it out. And and I, I did have, our, there was some someone I talked to that was, I think, convinced me of this, the importance of the question, which I do think is actually one of the first steps. There's a lot of, I was, I probably would have called myself agnostic most of the time. Which Mm -hmm. is like, "Ah, I don't know. I don't really know if I can figure it out. And if I had to bet, maybe I'd bet not, but I don't, I don't know. There's not enough evidence for me. The argument was, well, isn't that the most important possible question you could try to Mm. figure out, right? If there really is this guy who you're supposed to wake up every day and talk to and ask what you're supposed to do. And he tells you what you're supposed to do. And even if it's against like what the world tells you, if it's against everything you're still supposed to do it and mm-hmm. that's going to lead you to heaven, which not, not even to speak of the afterlife, but just to speak of this life. And it's like, yeah, that does seem like a pretty, you would want to <laughs> figure that question out. So, I did. I dove a decent bit into theology, but at the same time, like coming from an engineering background, again, I kept getting convinced by whoever I was reading or listening to last and then I was just like, well, isn't there a way that I'm supposed to be able to test this? And... The only thing for me that I could really figure out was this whole idea of prayer and meditation. And I actually, I wouldn't even have lumped meditation in there at the beginning. It was just prayer. And it was this weird piece of faith where you're supposed to be able to talk to this guy. And it's like, that's strange. Like if I could pick up my cell phone and, you know, call Jesus in the morning and he would answer and talk to me, like that'd be pretty good proof that he was there, you know, if I was texting him on a regular basis, that'd be pretty good proof. So I was really fascinated with prayer and at the same time, pretty fascinated with this idea of contemplative and meditative spirituality. And so I actually got really into secular meditation and at the same time was like, well, let me start exploring what prayer is. And so I was trying to learn what prayer is and how to pray and all that stuff. But I really struggled with it for a while. But after school, it was really trying to wrestle with it a bit deeper.
0: And I assume that this led eventually to the conversations about what Hallow might be. So, when did that factor into your life and what were some of those early beginnings of this project?
1: It probably would have been maybe three years after, after I graduated. What happened is I'd become fascinated with this kind of secular meditation, this contemplative life. And, I, and mostly just was supposed to help with stress and salting the stressful life, you travel a lot and all that fun, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But mostly I was just fascinated with spirituality. And so anyway, th- there were a couple of secular meditation apps that had just launched. Sure, One was called Headspace, another was called Calm. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking into secular meditation. I was about to go to India for a couple of weeks because that's when I Googled meditation, that's all that came up. <laughs> and I saw these apps and they are way cheaper than the play ticket. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to just try this, this app <laughs> for a year. And at the same time, I was trying to pray or at least explore whatever prayer was, but I didn't connect these things at all. And for me, the tough part about prayer was I tried the things I'd memorized as a kid and I tried the, hey, thanks God for this, sorry for this, help me with this. But it always just felt like I was talking to myself. Mm -hmm. and going through the motions and it didn't really feel like like a real living spirituality but i was giving it a shot i was like wow i I gotta see if this thing is here i'll try it out for a year or two and if there's nothing there that's fine then i figured it out there's no god but at the same time i was doing this secular meditation thing which at this i I liked and the app actually the apps it felt like i had this personal guide Through this technique, 10 minutes in the morning, I wake up, I close my eyes, I plug in my headphones, I press play. And it's like you're in a little meditation studio and you have, you know, a guide leading you through it, and you can personalize it and choose your different journeys and all this stuff. And I really liked that. But every time I would meditate using secular meditation, my mind kept feeling pulled, this weird pull. You just focus on your breath mostly, and then you let your mind go. And my mind. Kept feeling this weird pull towards something spiritual, an image of the cross or the Trinity or the Holy Spirit or the name Jesus or something. And that was very strange because I still would have considered myself agnostic. So, anyway, I started calling people, priests that I knew from Notre Dame, friends who I had talked to about faith. And I was asking them what I thought was a really interesting question, which was, you know, hey, is there any way that there's some sort of intersection here? Between this meditation thing and this faith thing. And I thought it was a really interesting question, but everybody I talked to laughed at me and just said, <laughs> right. yeah, it's, it's, it's called prayer. We've um, been doing this for a while, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> we've been doing this for 2,000 years. You probably should have heard about it. And I was like, no, 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 I've heard about prayer. That's the stuff where you memorize stuff and you talk and you, you're mm. kind of journaling to yourself. And I, I had this one priest who I talked to about. I think I was engaged at the time. I talked to her on the phone. And he said, Alex, imagine if you came home every day, at the end of the day, you called your fiance and you said, hey, honey, I'd like help with these things. I'm sorry for these things and I'm thankful for these things. Good night. How healthy <laughs> would your relationship be? Right. And I was like, well, I don't think it'd be very healthy. And he was like, why? And I was like, well, because 95% of my phone calls with her are, hey, honey, how was your day? Tell me what you need from me. And he was like, okay, so you listen for most of your conversation. And I was like, mm. yeah. And he was like, how much more would you want to listen if instead of talking to just another person, you were talking to the creator, of the universe knew what he wanted for you in every moment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's, yeah, I'd, I'd probably want to listen more. He was mm-hmm. like, that's what like contemplative and meditative prayer is, is like learning to listen. And so I started learning all about this incredibly rich tradition of contemplative and meditative prayer. So like Lexia Divina, Ignatian spirituality, the examined imaginative prayer, Carmelite spirituality, recollection, prayer, of the quiet, all this stuff that honestly I'd never heard of before. I was fascinated with it. So I sat down, I, I pulled out a Bible. I, I randomly opened to a page. I Googled how to do Lexia Divina, which is a way of meditating on scripture. And I opened to Matthew six randomly, which is where the disciples asked Jesus, how are we to pray? And mm-hmm. he gives them the Our Father. And what you do in Lexi Divina is you pick out a word that sticks out to you and you meditate on it. And the word that stuck out to me was Hallow and Hallow be thy name. And it just changed my life. It brought me to tears. It brought me back to my faith. It changed everything about what I do. It changed everything about who I am, what I value. It was just this like incredible, it's possible to put it into words like any real spiritual experience is, but it was just this beautiful combination of this deep, deep sense of peace which you kind of get through secular meditation, but I would argue much deeper. So, you feel this deep sense of peace, but combined with this like depth of meaning and purpose. And so, hallow means to make holy. So, I was wrestling with this, okay, to make holy, does that mean I'm supposed to make God's name holy here on earth? Is he supposed to make me holy? Am I letting him make me holy? Am I supposed to be helping other people grow in virtue? Am I supposed to be serving? Other people? And I was just doing my own career for my own career's sake. And so, it was these big stressful life questions of, well, do I have to change everything about what I'm doing, but wrestling with them in this place of peace. And so, it felt like this real two-way thing, like this this word was speaking to me and pushing me and pulling me. And I knew I needed to do that for the rest of my life. So, I started. it took me like 10 minutes. I was in tears and I knew I needed to do that forever. I loved this idea of this app. I found the app and kind of the audio only nature of it really helpful before and I knew how to code a little bit. And so I, you know, and I had a little bit of time. It wasn't even like an idea. It was just for me. I was, I was like, Hey, I really need this thing. I've been using this other thing, these apps. I've been trying to do this prayer thing. And I found this like Holy grail in the middle of these that has just changed my life. I need to do this every day for the rest of my life. And so I, I knew how to code a little bit. So we built the first version of it and it was just for me, but that was the idea behind hollow and how we got it started. The funny thing for us is I had talked to a handful of the friends that I was talking to that were teaching me about this thing and I needed some help building it. And so we got a little group together and built the first version. We had some friends and family use it. It it was just, I mean, it was, there were only nine sessions on the app or so, uh, nine meditations. Now there's like 10,000 or something crazy, but we only had a few dozen folks who gave it a try. And among them was this young woman who was in a difficult relationship and through the nine sessions, got the courage to end the relationship and dedicated her life to religious life as a nun, which we are like, wow, that's insane. And there's this other woman who had lost her only son who hadn't been able to get out of bed for three months, who was able to, she sent us this note that just said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, these meditations has, have helped me find hope for the first time since my son's passing. And I just wanted to let you know that this is what's been able to get me through each day. And we are you know, blown away. Like, man, in our wildest dreams, we couldn't have imagined anything that, that awesome. And getting to watch, it's funny too, because with Hallow, we don't really do it. It's just people just give God 10 minutes. You know, most of it's silence. So you're just sitting, it's not like we wrote a session for someone who had lost her son. And I came up with some real good idea for child loss. It was just in silence, God was able to reach out to her. And so it's just like we, we got to witness what God was doing in people's lives. And so, from that point, that was, I guess, four and a half, five years ago. And we're like, okay, I guess God wants us to do this. And so, we might as well give it a try. And so, we started taking it a little bit more seriously after that. And it's it's been crazy. We can talk about that, I'm sure. But it's been a absolutely insane journey. So, it's been a blessing to be a part of.
0: Yeah. It's amazing this sort of change that happens when you open yourself to God's will and want to cooperate with it that all of a sudden – you know, tremendous things happen. We see that at Faith Indeed, you know, through our daily gospel reflections and, you know, people write back to us and things that you would never even imagine people responding in that way, but just the perfect timing. And it's really God's timing of the work of our hands and then, you know, putting it in people's lives. And and you can certainly marvel at that. Of course, there's a practical side to this as well. You had a good job. You're newly married. Was it a leap of faith, shall we say, to... Kind of take this on full time and say, we're going to start a company and this isn't just a, a personal thing for me or something for my family and friends, but something we're going to really go after. What was that process?
1: Yeah, it's probably the biggest leap of faith for my wife. <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she, was, she was not, I mean, she supported our family. I mean, there was just us, but for sure she was a teacher. And so, we were certainly quite broke and we drained our whatever retirement 401k thing and took the 30 40% penalty that you have on all that just to you know buy audio recording equipment or whatever so it was certainly an experience my two co-founders actually took even crazier leaps than than I had but God made it a lot easier on me in a bunch of different ways so he made it possible in a in a ton of ways but the big thing for us was we prayed about it at the beginning and we prayed about what God wanted this thing to be we were struggling with it a good bit cuz you know we were deciding between well we could have it kind of be a little nonprofit thing where we raise some donations and we kind of have this this offering that we give away. Or we could try to structure it as like a small business where maybe it works out and we have a small little team that can run it and it can sustain itself. Or it could be a startup. And frankly, there's no like good or bad path for us when we were considering it. We were just saying, hey God, what do you what do you want us to do here? I was initially furthest away from a startup. The startup thing for me just felt real stressful, moving really quick. There's a bunch of risk involved. You try to build something big. And my initial gut was kind of the nonprofit route. I actually talked to a bunch of advisors, bishops and priests and friends who ran nonprofits and they all said, Please, please absolutely do not make this a non which was a <laughs> which was a fascinating Yeah. I was like, wow, that's a anyway, there's a bunch of reasons for that. Me and my co founder Eric, we prayed about it. And we both ended up randomly opening up to, and again, a Lexa Divina session, the parable of the 10 talents. And the thing that stood out to us that we never really thought of before in that parable was this idea of risk. And so the guy who takes his five talents and turns it into 10, he didn't just do that by putting it like in a savings account and growing it at whatever, you know, 1% interest or whatever, He didn't just put it in like a treasury bill. He went and traded for it and he went and made some bets. And the only way you could double your money or double, you know, your talents, is by taking some risk, some decent size risk. And so I thought it was fascinating. It was like this idea of like, well wow, man, I, I wish there was I wish there was somebody who bet his five talents and then lost it. Like What would the <laughs> response have been? And maybe there's a counter to that that's like, well, if you're really taking risks with God, doing what God asks you, there's no real way that he lets you fail. But obviously, monetarily he can, but in the way that he wants you to. We were really set that that was what God wanted out of Hallow. The thing about Hallow is it's not like we're curing cancer. It's not like we're the church and we're celebrating the mass. And it's not like we're a university that's providing invaluable education. It's not like we're trying to figure out how to land a rocket ship for the first time ever. It's like if Hallow's not around, I use Halo all the time. The app, Personally, I use it three, four times a day. And if it's not there tomorrow, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be just fine. I'll do my rosary. I know how to do a rosary. I'll do my daily gospel. I'll listen to some daily reflections. But if Mass, if, if my church doesn't celebrate, if the church isn't there tomorrow, I'm going to be real upset. If I can't celebrate the Eucharist, if Notre Dame wasn't there, I'd be, you know, if, you're, if you can't cure cancer. But the, the unique thing that Hallow does have as this app is this opportunity to build something really big and to reach out to folks who usually it's really hard to reach out to. Just because they're not usually going to Mass, they're not Googling Catholic things, they're usually not, although in my case was, but usually not attending you know, Catholic universities and Catholic schools. The, you know, the, this ability to reach out to people at scale and make a relatively big impact is, I think, a unique spot that Howell has, which means that it has to take on some risk to do it and take some big swings. But we have this kind of unique opportunity to do that. And, and the startup model is actually built exactly for that. Which is this, how can you try to build something real quick, know that, you know, there's a good chance that it fails with any, you know, with any organization, there's a good chance that it fails, but especially when, when trying to scale at the speed of a startup, there's a good chance that it, it fails. And you have to kind of be comfortable with that risk. And for me, it's been this really again, like deeply spiritual experience of learning this process of radical surrender of like, God, look, if, the, if you want this thing to work out, it's going to work out. And if you don't want it to work out, that's that's fine. Then it then it won't work out. It'll be a stepping stone to something else. So you you will use it however you want to use it. And really trying to focus on on building this like a startup and to just build a really high quality product that wouldn't turn people away and would actually invite people in that would match up against any secular app and wouldn't be, wouldn't feel like a poorly designed app or website. Which I think can turn a lot of, especially young people, away. So just trying to build something great and build something that might have a chance of uh, helping the church out in their mission is is what we got excited about.
0: Well, and you have seen tremendous exponential growth, just a proliferation of the use of the app, the people in the Catholic world who are involved in the app, you know, really collaborating with all kinds of institutions and programs and dioceses and schools. I mean, it's just for me watching from the sideline a little bit. I've just been floored by how much things have grown by leaps and bounds in a relatively short amount of time. What do you attribute that to? And what have been some of the surprises along the way?
1: Yeah, the attribution is really clear. It's it's all the big man upstairs. Right. <laughs> he does some cool things when you let him. Yeah, I remember we had our first funding round, which was really the only one that really mattered because we were dead broke and we would have had to go get regular jobs. And so we would have probably given up on it or done it kind of on the side and it would have probably sputtered out. But it was really stressful. You're pitching a bunch of people, you're trying to get people to bet on your idea and and all this stuff is, you know, I probably had... 80 to 100 meetings in the the course of two weeks. And the vast majority of people thought it was a terribly stupid idea. I remember I just came back to my little studio apartment and was praying. And I was just like, look, God, this is too much weight. It's too much stress. I can't handle this. I'm going to make a deal with you. And the deal is, if this thing works, I promise you, I'm not going to convince myself that I'm some successful entrepreneur. I'm not going to convince myself that I somehow figured the thing out. I know that you're doing it. I will always give you credit. I'm never not going to give you credit. At the same time, if it doesn't work out, it's on you. It's not on me. I'm not taking the blame (laughs) for that. I'm not taking the weight. It's too much weight. And that's fine. Like you don't want it to work. That's fine. I'll go do something else. And you want me to do something else. That's fine. You know better than I do. And I don't know from that moment, it's just, it's like, that was a lesson that I was given at the very beginning. And that's the only lesson It's just like drilled into my head time and time again. So every partnership, you know, we've got incredibly lucky and blessed with the folks who we have on the app. So Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen has been incredible and a phenomenal part there, a phenomenal man of faith, Mark Wahlberg, Andrea Bocelli, that, you know, we've got a a bunch more really awesome folks coming out. But uh, Father Mike Schmitz, Bishop Barron, all the, just these incredible people. You know, Sister Miriam actually is one of my, one of my personal favorites, but uh, these incredible people of great faith. If you had told me that a thousand people would use this five years ago, I'd I'd say that's ridiculous. There's no way. I don't know a thousand people. A thousand people feels like a massive amount of people. Like I looked out in my yard right now and you told me that I think we just crossed like 12 and a half million downloads or something, which is just absurd. I mean, it's just a crazy, it's kind of fun for me because you get to brag on behalf of God. It's just like, yeah, God does really cool things. I mean, it's, he does really cool things when you let him and every big opportunity or every big moment, has just been this, like, we try to do something and then we give up and God does it. And he just waits for us to say, okay, you take care of it. And then he does it for us. And it's just like this constant reminder of this radical surrender. So it's been this. And for us, the the coolest part of working on this is just these, you know, I told you a couple of those stories of the couple initial people. And I know, I'm sure you guys at Faith FaithND have a thousand of these stories, but we just get these stories every day from you know, someone dealing with alcoholism who hasn't been sober in 10 years, who was able to be sober for the first time for, you know, these past 80 days sober for the first time in the last 10 years, someone who hasn't been to church in 30 years, who goes back to church for the first time. A young woman who's never heard that she's beautiful from anyone, hears God tell her you are beautifully and wonderfully made. Do you think I make mistakes? There's, I mean, there's little kids who are afraid of the dark who fall asleep listening to the stories and the saints. I mean, it's just like the coolest possible stories. And I remember I told my co-founders at the beginning when that woman was, you know, I'd found some hope after losing her son. I said, man, if you told me right now that we'd work for the next 20 years and my reputation would be totally in shambles and ruined, and we'd burn all this money and we'd have no savings and we'd be, it all would go totally terribly, but one more of those people might encounter God in the way that she had, I would definitely do it. i do it a hundred times over. Yeah, I mean, it's infinitely worth it. I mean, there's nothing you could trade for that. And so, for us, it's just like, man, it's just this incredible privilege and blessing to be able to journey alongside with people, Now both people in like really tough situations and just normal people trying to pray a little bit better, trying to grow a little bit deeper in their faith, trying to be a little bit more consistent with a daily habit of prayer, maybe pick up a daily rosary or do a daily gospel or whatever it is. Just being able to journey with everybody on our own walks to heaven is just a—it's an incredible blessing. I didn't think I'd ever have the opportunity to be a part of.
0: Yeah, it is such a blessing to be tied up in other people's faith stories, and and sometimes you get to hear those things. Other times you don't. I I often think of that when we get to heaven, we'll find out even more uh, in terms of our cooperation with God's grace and how that affected people in a positive way. As you look towards the future, Alex, what What is the future of Hallow and how have you maintained sort of balance in your life with so many things going on in Hallow and it growing in a
1: myriad of ways? What's that been like for you? So, the first one, the the future of Hallow. Our goal is just to try to help people pray and try to help people build a daily habit of prayer and find peace through Christ in prayer. And I think it's a relatively simple goal, but I think it could change the world. Mm. If you imagine a world where everybody is praying every day, I mean, every moment of every day, really praying unceasingly, but you know, let's just, we can start with every day, but everybody's praying every day. Christ is entering their hearts. They're acting with love and hope and compassion. That feels a lot like the kingdom of heaven to me on earth. And I think it also has this opportunity, you know, especially the church in the West, like you look at these numbers, which are almost all sad and it's depressing, and the one thing that always sticks out, you've got mass attendance is down, priest ordinations are down, baptisms are down, divorces is up, marriages in the church are down. All these things are this down into the right line. The one thing that isn't is spirituality. And you can see it like, okay, the percent of people who call themselves religious is down, an incredible amount, 20%. But it's not replaced by people who are hardcore atheists or hardcore agnostics. It's replaced by this group of people who are spiritual but not religious. Yeah. Now, uh, part of that is okay. Well, can you really be spiritual but not religious? If you're spiritual, that means you're like trying to have a relationship with something bigger. As soon as you try to, try to define or think about what that is, you have a belief system, and then if you do that in community. You have a community which is essentially a religion. But the other way, which we get really excited about, is you don't have to argue with people. What if You just say, okay, you're interested in spirituality. That's awesome. I have this incredible spirituality I've discovered. It's thousands of years old. I'd love to share it with you. And my guess is you're going to talk to the same guy that I'm talking to and he's going to convince you of the Eucharist a lot better than I ever would. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think it's, And if you look at any of the Catholic data, you see all all these declining lines. The one line that isn't declining is the percent of people praying. It's been flat for the last 40 years. It's just this weird anomaly that I think this interesting ability to reach out to folks, both who have fallen away and revitalizing people who might feel like they're stuck or going through the motions. So anyway, I get really excited about the opportunity for prayer to change the world. For me, in terms of maintaining balance, just my wife, <laughs> that's <laughs> not just, but it's, you know, there's there's a thousand different ways that I'm somewhat able to stay sane and they're all her. So you know, I have two incredible little kids, a three-year-old and a one-year-old and it's like kids are just so much fun they're stressful for sure, but they take so much of the weight of life off. Like you come home and you have a great day or a bad day or something big happens or something not big happens, your kids don't care at all, you know, especially a three-year-old. They're just like, hey, I want to play, you know, let's play. And it's just takes this, the weight of life. It's just like, yeah, you're right. Not, none of this is is that big a deal. And my wife is just incredibly, whether it's travel or work or whatever it is, it's just able to handle the ups and downs of startup life with with this incredible amount of grace. For me though, it's just been this like really powerful and really awesome spiritual journey. I, I just like the content on the app, I just get to go talk to people I think are super interesting and learn from them how to grow deeper in the spiritual life. And that's you know my job essentially. It's just incredible. Like I get to pray essentially for work. It's like this awesome, <laughs> it's this awesome blessing and learn and meet all these incredible people. And so, it's certainly a crazy ride. And startup life is a crazy life. But it is this process of learning to learning to surrender. So it's is the only way you can really, I think any startup founder could could ever try to stay sane. But especially me.
0: And of course, we have the advantage in faith life of having models of holiness both in front of us, your wife and your mom, your kids, your co-founders, but we also have this connection to the saints and the models of holiness who have come before us and yet are still with us and still intercede for us. So, could you share with us some of your models of holiness? Who are the people that you look to as you seek to live a holy life?
1: Yeah. Saint Teresa of Avila. My there's a ton obviously, but she's 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 got a special place in in my heart and in I, I don't know. St. Joseph would, would be a close. Yeah, they're both right there. St. Teresa of Avila would get mad at me if I put her before St. Joseph. So, <laughs> so forgive me both of you, please. <laughs> yeah, St. Joseph actually. So, Sister Miriam did this. I, I'd say at the beginning of my faith journey, St. Teresa of Avila was, was incredible. She's this incredible example of Christian mysticism and she's so incredibly humble. She'll call herself the worst sinner in the world that God has ever made. And at the same time, she's like levitating for hours in these states of ecstasy and she prays and meditates. I mean, it's just like the craziest. And I don't know, this is what I was talking a little bit about before. It's like, you could break down her teaching and be like, okay, here are the different castles and all that that stuff and the interior life. But there's something about reading her words and just experiencing, just seeing for a moment how radically a contemplative and mystical life she led. And there's something deeply inspirational about that. It's just like, wow, that's what that could look like. That's awesome. And it's inspirational. It's like watching Michael Jordan play basketball or something. It's, that's awesome. Right. And then Saint Joseph, there's just this, especially as a father, actually, Saint Teresa of Avila says in, in her books of, of all the saints, there is one who I have never, in any intercession I have ever brought to Saint Joseph, he has always answered. And I implore you to pray to Saint Joseph. And we did this Saint Joseph consecration this spring with Sister Miriam. She had this incredibly beautiful like imaginative prayer where you collect yourself and then imagine yourself at a breakfast table, having coffee with the Holy family. So with Mary making breakfast and St. Joseph sitting down with you and the child, Jesus, you know, whatever age you want to pick. I think in my mind is probably like eight or something Mm -hmm. sitting at the table and they all kind of sit down and you just talk to them about what's going on. And it's just this incredible. And then you imagine what they'd say back and. It's just this incredibly, yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, Mary is, Mary is impossible to beat from a saint perspective, but St. Joseph and St. Teresa of Avila are probably, the, are probably the two that I turn to the most often. And what about people in your life? Who would you cite there? I like to say my three heroes of my life are spiritually St. Teresa of Avila, uh, from a fatherhood perspective, my dad, and uh, really just from like what it means to be a man, my dad professionally Steve Jobs. Now, Steve Jobs probably is not necessarily, hopefully he ended up in heaven, God rest his soul. I'm not sure what his faith background was or any of that stuff. And I'm sure he did a, I know he did a bunch of things in his life that I certainly do not want to emulate from a holiness perspective, but (laughs) the, uh, so I'm not sure I would necessarily use the word examples of holiness there, but he did such an incredible job figuring out how to build beautiful products that, were incredibly impactful that it is. There's just something about his ability to build great products that were really well designed, and that has always inspired me. Mm-hmm. I would probably say Jonathan Rumi maybe as the last one. He's funny because he plays Jesus, but is just such an incredible example of of how to live a Christ like life. So yeah, those would probably be yeah my wife and my mom and my two co founders are incredible too. I mean, I've got a long list of heroes in my own life. So yeah, it is very
0: blessed to. People able to know and interact with such a wide variety of people. This journey of holiness for you, I mean, it's lifelong, but we've heard about some of the highlights and, you know, these turning points of starting hallow just as something for you to make use of. And now it's become this thing that so many people use. What still rings true to you in terms of growing in holiness? What are some of the practices that are especially important to you? yeah
1: I mean, for me, I have a really great spiritual director, uh open State priest here in Chicago. It's just basics and getting consistent. For me, it's just trying to get like the cord which get like the core down then you can grow from, and it's like the foundation, it's like the healthy soil that everything can grow from mm-hmm. and the his advice to me is you know it's it's three things every day, three things, which is mass. 20 minutes in silence and a rosary. And you just always do those. And, you know, then you add on top of that, like a charitable act, which is like an act of love almost always towards my wife or towards my family. And then removing the stuff that brings you down, removing like getting off of social media or stuff that wastes your time. And just working on the core. I was listening to some talk and the guy was saying, you know, when you work out, it's not like, you go work out for 12 hours once and you're in shape. How you get in shape is you do a 20-minute workout, but you do it every day. It's this consistency. It's this do something every day. And it's like that these little impacts in your life and how God's able to speak through them. And then the rosary, I'm probably a little bit more hit or miss, but I'm just, I, I hit it maybe 60% of the time. So we're working on that one.
0: There's an app that can help you with that, you know. <laughs> what's it what's it called? <laughs> I think it's called Aloe. <laughs> oh man, I hate that
1: app. Everybody keeps telling me to download it, you know? And then for the app, it's helpful to do the little daily mass readings and be, before mass. The daily reflections mm-hmm. are super popular, which I listen to every once in a while. Jeff Cavins gives this awesome reflection on, on the gospel readings. The time and silence, there's ways to structure it or focus on imaginative prayer. We do these kind of community challenges like the Saint Joseph consecration right now. We're going through the rosary and a bunch more Depth and so, but like Advent and Lent, those things are are nice ways to kind of spice up the spiritual life. And then the music, I just love that. We have this like incredible Gregorian chants and beautiful music on the app. So yeah, that's kind of throughout the day the ways to kind of bring. Oh, and the the, the chaplet, I always do the Divine Mercy chaplet, usually usually around three p.m. or so. And those are, those are always on the app. So it's, I built it for me. So it's, if I'm not using it, then it, there's something wrong.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> well, and I appreciate your honesty, you know,
0: not only about your early life and, and some of the struggles in faith you had there, but that no one is perfect in in this seeking holiness, that we're always on the way, we're always growing and, and we're always learning. And I think that's what One of the motivations for this podcast was just to encourage people to keep going, to not give up, to not assume that, you know, the saints were all finished products in the midst of their life, and and yet that we all are called to to this life of sanctity and holiness. So, Alex, I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you for what you're doing on behalf of the church, this mission of evangelization, of really plumbing the depths of the beauty of our faith and putting it in people's hands in, a, in their mobile devices and computers, which are so much of a part of our lives now, why not have prayer be there? So thank you for that, all you're doing and, and continue to do and, and know of our prayers for the future success of the work of your hands.
1: Well, thank you so much for the prayers. It, it means the world has been honored to get started with Notre Dame and, and Faith ND in the many ways that we we have been able to and i'm obviously deeply grateful to your guys's work both in my own but primarily in my own spiritual life so deeply grateful appreciate the kind words and and i'll praise the the big man upstairs for for anything good that's come of it. amen Well,
0: that concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast. As always, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast at any service if you're choosing to rate it, especially if you enjoyed it, and to share it with someone who might find encouragement, who might find solace in the stories that we're sharing through here. We talked about our daily gospel reflection. That's always available at faith.nd.edu slash sign up. There we'll share a daily meditation as well as future episodes of the podcast. We thank you for joining us today, and until next time, you'll be in our prayers. God bless you.